Well, hello again, everybody, and uh, I believe the Lord has a wonderful word of encouragement for us today. So I hope you're ready. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you for this day. We are grateful for this time. We know you have a purpose for us here. You have an assignment for us here, and we are asking once again for your grace, your mercy, your patience to show that to us and to encourage us to follow through on that, to do your will. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. It's hard to even fathom uh, the things that you've done for us, but we humbly come before you to thank you and ask for your blessing over this and that it encourages us today and gets planted deep within us and takes good root and will produce good fruit for your kingdom. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, amen. So, I'm going to discuss a story today that's in the Bible that I think if we, you know, really look at this, slow down a little bit and ponder it. I mean, this this kind of thing that we're going to talk about could have happened or is happening within our lifetime. Uh, We may know people that this applies to because it applies to everyday life. And that's why I think we need to review this. And I'm going to I'm going to review this story just kind of without, you know, referring to all the scriptures at, as I go through this and then we'll get into it a little bit in the scriptures, but this story goes something like this. <clears throat> there was a man who seems to be stuck in a rut in his job. And he gets his gets a call from his boss about a you know, a new opportunity. But this new opportunity involves traveling. And since things hadn't been going so well where he was currently, you know, setting up shop and everything he had been trying seemed to be always leading to a dead end. So this new opportunity was one that he jumped at since he was fine with having to travel and he had confidence in his boss. And so it was easy for him to accept this new job, this new assignment. So he arranges transportation to Across uh, the sea, and he arrives in a new country. And he heads to his first town to try to, you know, create a new market for his uh, what he's talking about. This this uh, you know thing that he's trying to get people to submit to. And as he sets up shop, he realizes very soon that there's only a few people who appear interested, and he notices that the competition is intense. And in fact, one of his competitors has him beaten up and thrown in prison. Now his his boss finds out about this uh, when he and his partner call him in the middle of the night. So his boss arranges for his release from prison. But there's a catch. When he's released, he is told by the, the local leaders in the town that he must leave town. But they're not discouraged by this, and they move on to another city to set up shop there. Because, you know, they're like, hey, you know, maybe we'll find better uh, success, more market opportunities in a new location. And so they're at this new location, and at first it seems like things were getting off to a good start. There were some important people in this new location that had ascribed to his ideas. But it didn't take long before they're running for their lives again. And, and the competition, once again, in this new city is stirring up trouble and actually 
starts a riot against him and his partner. Well, they get out of there in a hurry and not, you know, didn't want to get beaten up again and thrown in prison. And so they head off to another city. But by golly, wouldn't you know it, once again, they get the same results. And then they go to another city. And, and he's mocked for his product there. And he left there with having made very little impact with only a few new subscribers. And well, you know, by now, he's just kind of wondering what in the world is going on? Where, where was this great, great promised opportunity I dreamed about that my boss told me about? You know, gosh, and he's like, well, but nevertheless, he pressed on to, now this will be the fifth city he's gone to on this, this new journey. And once again, after a promising start, wouldn't you know, his competitors stirred up trouble again. And, and you know, at this time, this guy's just, he's getting discouraged. So that evening, he gets a call from his boss. And his boss has this, these words to say to him, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. One night, the Bible says, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. All right. So if you hadn't figured it out, you already tell the story I was sharing was the story about the Apostle Paul described for us in the book of Acts with his travels to Asia Minor. See, Paul had, had desired himself to go off to new areas, but the Lord had told him, no, no, this is where you're going to go. And he received the Macedonian vision to cross into Macedonia. And the five cities that we just described that he visited were Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. Now, by the time the uprising against him in Corinth happened, Paul had been beaten, imprisoned, mocked, and hunted down. So, I think it's fair to say if anyone had a right to be discouraged, it was the Apostle Paul. But these words from the Lord came to encourage Paul at exactly the right moment. The, the success of the mission did not depend on Paul's ability, but rather the sovereign plan and power of God. The strength of God would be demonstrated not in Paul's strength and wisdom, but rather in Paul's weakness. God did not call Paul to fail, but to succeed. And, you know, let me, I, I don't want to assume anything here, so I want to stop for a moment right here because I, I just need us all to make sure on the same page when we talk about success and what success actually is. Now, <clears throat> I can only speak for myself. But I personally struggled with this, this, this concept of success for years. I bet you some of you have too, and maybe are still. So hopefully this will help. And it was a familiar topic of mine, so much so um, as I was, you know, getting into, after I was in the military and, you know, just deep diving into ministry and being all in and, way in over my head, I spent a lot of time with uh, a, a gentleman, uh, my mentor in ministry, Dr. Joseph Yamidi. 
talked to him all the time. He wasn't in, I was in Florida, he was in Virginia. Um, but I called him so often and he was so gracious with his time and always had, he just always had time for me. And uh, I distinctly remember a discussion we had in 2013. And it's, and it's during that discussion in 2013 that, you know, the light bulb, if you will, went off for me on understanding what success really is. Now, I admit I had struggled, I'd wrestled with what success was supposed to look like. I think, you know, I was just like most of us, if not all of us, because I inaccurately looked through success via the lens of the world, not the lens of what God says success is. During that conversation I had back in 2013, I, I I was able to articulate for the first time. You know, I might've thought it, but I wasn't able to actually say it. And I think it helps when you think it, say it, write it, all those things. So I did that. I wrote it down. I spoke it in this conversation with Dr. Yumidi, with Joseph Yumidi. And, and I articulated that according to God, success is the result of passing tests where we choose to do the best with the option that's right in front of us to do less. Did you hear that? That's, that's, that's really what I, it came down to for me. We'd, we'd take on endeavors, we'd pass those tests, we'd do the best we could, in other words, but always available to us was to take another road that was probably less challenging, easier, we, we, but we didn't choose that less, more traveled road. I think another way to say this is a Christian. If, if we, if anyone claims to be a Christian, we have got to, you got to understand this, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. But sacrifice does not mean compromise. And if you don't compromise, if you're willing to sacrifice and not compromise, then... I believe, according to the way God looks at things, you're a success. See, we tend to think successful, we, we compromise things of the world into ministry. We tend to think successful ministries have all the, have all, you know, packed pews, full parking lots, all the, whatever you want to call it, the glitz, the glamour, I don't know, all the things on social media here the last 15 Years, you know, all the clicks, all the likes. Now, folks, that is the worldly way to label success. And see, but but hear this: that also does not mean ministries with lots of people, right? Full parking lots, lots of following on social media are are inaccurate or false teachers. But here's the reality: many of them have large followings because, folks. There are compromises that are going on in multiple areas in their ministries. They're compromising with society and not accurately teaching and preaching and living out the word of God. All right? Not trying to, I'm just, I'm trying to be just totally transparent here about things with what success means. Okay? Now, back to Paul. See, Paul had not been able to uh, establish any of the work that he was planning to do in these other places. You know, and it, it, apparently he left Luke behind to strengthen the work in Philippi. And Paul was particularly concerned about the, the city of Thessalonica. 
He feared the worst there, and he sent young Timothy on a salvage mission. It seemed that Paul expected a dismal report, but was delighted and surprised that things were going so well in Thessalonica. Again, the success of God's work does not depend on us, although by God's grace, he calls us to join him in his work. We, we know of this good report from the letter we call 1 Thessalonians. Paul, when he, he was doubly encouraged and strengthened. The encouraged and thankful Paul takes a pen and paper and along with Silas and Timothy, dashes off a letter of encouragement to the, peop, to the church in Thessalonica that we call in our scriptures in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians. And so Paul, who was encouraged by God, remember right in Acts 18, now he is the encourager. He knows the severe trials the church, any church, undertakes. So he wants to encourage the believers there to persevere through the doubts and trials. That's what I titled this today, Perseverance. See, Paul knows the same Lord who has seen him through a particular rough spot will see the church in Thessalonica through as well. Let's read some, just a little bit of this encouragement that Paul gives them to persevere. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, right at the beginning, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read that. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. So Paul writes out this greeting and then reminds them that, you're right, that the Thessalonians' welfare was constantly in his prayers, right? His team's prayer. Paul was grateful to God for the things that were going well in Thessalonica. Paul mentions that their faith was demonstrating its vitality in their work for the Lord, which was motivated by love. Their hope had allowed them to endure the hardships they had faced. What Paul is doing here is a wonderful example of the tie-in between prayer and the message or the teaching that's going on. He let them in on the content of his thanksgiving prayer to God to remind them that God was at work in them. And Paul continues his encouragement of them by reminding them that they were loved by the very God who had chosen them. I mean, what encouragement is to know that the God of the universe cared for them as a church and as individuals. 
And this type of encouragement emboldens the receiver to perceive regardless of what circumstances you're going through. The proof of this love was the powerful outworking of the Holy Spirit which accompanied the preaching of the gospel. See, you may have witnessed this, you may have done this yourself, but there's a huge difference between just saying, I love you, and saying, I love you, which is proved in action. Right? <laughs> so many of us, oh, I love you, love you, love you, and, and nothing's ever done. They just say they love you. It, it's just, it's, it's said so much, it basically has no meaning because there's never any action most of the time associated with it. And when people have the opportunity to love people, come on now, we usually have excuses, rationale, and the excuses revolve around three things, money, relationships, and security. Provision, protection, and acceptance. See, not only did God love them, but Paul loved them and demonstrated it first by sending Timothy to check on their welfare as well as in writing this letter to them. Surely Paul had a lot to do already as he's in Corinth and the work there. No less than he had to care for the church at Philippi or Berea, as well as those in the entire area of Galatia. When Paul, okay, this guy Paul, he's got a lot on his plate. He took time to lay it aside to deal personally with the Thessalonian church. It serves as a means of encouragement to believers there. The demonstration of the power of the Spirit with the Thessalonians also certified Paul's, you know, standing, his, his position, his message, that it had come from God. Perhaps Paul felt some in the city doubted his sincerity about wanting to return to the city and use the hindrance of the Satan as an excuse. They had no reason to doubt that they had both heard and experienced that, right? The church had suffered under the hands of earthly rulers and powers and needed to be reminded that there was a power greater than the local politicians or even the Roman emperor. This served to further strengthen and encourage the believers in Thessalonica. Paul goes on to tell them that their endurance of suffering and perseverance served as a positive example to the other churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Oh, Christian, listen right there. That's the thing that we... You know, because sadly, we've been duped into thinking we need immediate affirmation or, you know, uh, confirmation of, our, of things that we're doing. But you got to grasp this and never forget this. People are watching. People are watching. They're, they're watching how we handle with difficulties, how we handle things when people treat us wrong. They're watching. Will we persevere with grace and kindness? Will we stand our ground and not compromise? Things like this is all people are watching. Mm. Right? The Christian gospel is authenticated not only in the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the endurance of persecution by the believers for the gospel's sakes. In other words, a faith worth dying for is a faith that is worthy to live by. This message, this Christian message cannot be authenticated by a theology of glory or blessings alone, folks. There's also a theology of the cross, of suffering, of persevering that Christians following the Lord must equally embrace and display. If both aren't included, then it's an incongruent testimony that will crumble and have no impact on those that are watching. So Paul reminds us in the book of Romans that if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. 
The Thessalonians are commanded and encouraged by Paul that their faith displayed and even embraced both glory and the suffering and persevering of the cross. This is the type of faith that is contagious and it's, it's scriptural faith, people, right? This is the faith that makes news because it is so different than worldly expectation that says someone can have gain without pain, right? Someone can have success without any cost. Mm. Unfortunately, there have been and continue to be ministries that share and teach that the Christian gospel is a romantic escape novel. The reality is that's not even close to what the real gospel says. The true Christian gospel is instead a living faith that perseveres through suffering because of the glory that follows the cross of Christ. And then in, you know, in this example here, right, in Thessalonica, Paul continues to show the work of God in that they themselves admitted and repented from worshiping idols to worshiping the living God. Paul also commends them for keeping their eyes on the goal, which was to the return of Jesus who has been raised from the dead, the same Jesus who had rescued them. Folks, Here's a question. I mean, question. Is it not true that in times of discouragement, it is always good for Christians to be reminded of who they are and whose they are? I mean, whose are we? We're not ours. We're God's. That's who we are. When you're a Christian now, you lose control of your, your, you're to submit your will to God's will. That's whose will we We still have a will, I know that. The mind, will, and emotion, it compresses our soul. That's the challenge. That's the never, it's a daily, it's gonna go on today multiple times. We're gonna be pressed, we're gonna be tested, we're gonna be tried. Are we gonna obey the will of God or are we gonna submit to our will and compromise? There it is, it goes on all the time. I mean, if we were to read these verses, verses in isolation from the rest of this epistle, one could easily conclude that this was a church that had it all together in Thessalonica. That, that when we started, we read at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians there that I read earlier. I mean, because it's a glowing report. Who, who would not be encouraged to hear such a report? But here's the reality. There were many issues Paul had to deal with with the church in Thessalonica. And folks, isn't that just like all of us? We are on the right path on something, but there are other areas we push aside and need to deal with. Well, it's no different for a group of people or in this case, a church body. Okay, so let me just bring up a couple things that were going on there in Thessalonica. One issue was that even though they were commended for their waiting for the return of Jesus, they were getting some things wrong as well. In chapter four of 1 Thessalonians, Paul must deal with them because they mistakenly believed that only those who were still alive at the return of Jesus would be resurrected. Yeah, they thought that those who died in the congregation were lost forever. Well, Paul had to strongly correct this notion. Let me read, let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. That should clear up for that church body and for anyone reading that ever since. Well, and then in the next chapter, we read that there were others who felt the coming of Jesus was so near that they were quitting their jobs and causing an uproar in the community to buy freeloading. Oh, and Paul also encouraged them to honor the minister's leadership in their local church. Oh, <coughs> wow. Let's read on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 14. Dear brothers and sisters, <clears throat> honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live a peacefully and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. So in other words, Paul had to tell them that they were still required to work and that Paul himself, when he was with them, did not freeload but work night and day. They were right in expecting Jesus' return, but were wrong in acting out the implications of what that meant. It's like they're honkering down for Jesus' return and not going to do anything because they say things are so bad. Does that sound familiar to what's going on in the current status of the world? So many Christians inaccurately think they're just supposed to wait for Jesus' return and not continue to do ministry because they have the light of the world that should be helping to dispel darkness. But my goodness, we all just think the Titanic's sinking and there's no reason to do anything. I abhor that thinking. We have today. Let's give it our best. See, a huge takeaway should be that the true nature of encouragement is more than just praise. Although, folks, that's a vital component. Paul, usually in his letters, is up front with praise, right? We must also understand that Paul is praising God for the work he was doing in the believers' lives and not for the people themselves. Boasting of human accomplishments, especially when it is truly the work of God, is idolatry, people. Paul is clear that all human boasting is excluded in the presence of God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, this is a reminder that we are entirely saved by the grace of God through the agency of faith, which in itself is a gift from God. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So folks, no doubt to encourage someone means there needs to be a praise component involved. But Paul also realizes that correction is also an important component of encouragement. <laughs> Unlike modern means, which seem to praise just the good points and ignore the bad, Paul holds both praise and correction as necessary. This is a huge thing in our Western culture that we live in. See, folks, Scripture repeatedly teaches us via the Hebrews that chastisement is proof that they are God's children, right? Without correction and discipline, you could conclude you are not in the family of God. If you're not getting corrected, if you're not having discipline in your life, you're not in the family of God. Whoa. 
right? Paul, he encourages them from where they have come from, but he also encourages them to continue. Paul shows us a great way to do this, which is using his own discouragement in his life. But through those discouragements, he also learned that the hand of God was still with him, even in difficulties. Paul learned hope and faith through these trials and tribulations. His discouragement turned to encouragement, which in turn encouraged Paul to become the encouragers of others. Okay, so how do you and I face discouragement? Well, it often seems that we grumble and complain to other people. We become discouraged discouragers instead of encouraged encouragers. Maybe, maybe, I'm hoping, praying. We need to learn the lesson from this message today. What I mean is if we find that we are tearing down only instead of building up again, we need to look again at the promises of God to bring us through discouragement in times of trial to victory. I mean, perhaps things aren't going as well as we would like. Perhaps things appear to be going quite badly right now. Well, if we will only remember that the battle belongs to the Lord and victory over these trials is by our weakness in the face of God's strength, then our discouragement will become encouragement. I encourage us to maybe use the example of King David, who in the midst of dangerous trials encouraged himself in the Lord. We must remember that all things work together to good to those who love God, who are the, those called according to his purpose. And that doesn't mean all things are good. Some things that we encounter and undergo in are simply quite unpleasant. That's an understatement, right? However, all things, good and bad, are part of God's plan to benefit you and I. And when we have been encouraged by the Lord, let us realize we're not just supposed to soak that all up, but we are to pour it out. We are to encourage others as we have been encouraged. Well, praise the Lord. I hope this ministers to you today. God bless you.